regional members. Uh, so SNB has a small number of um, organizations, such as the Food Trust, who are members of SNB. And one of the reasons that they're members is the ability to uh, organize a session like this during the conference. And it's a chance for those organizational members to kind of share what they're working on and then also get feedback um, from the attendees of the conference. Um, so we are pleased to welcome the Food Trust um, with Heidi Gornick, the Director of Community Nutrition, and Katie Bellasis, the Associate Director of Farm to School. Um, so they're here to start a conversation about strengthening Farm to School initiatives. Thank you. Thank you so much, um, and thanks to those who've come to join us today. We're a, a small but mighty group, right? Um, if anybody, we won't make you, but if you want to come closer, you're welcome to come a little bit closer. You feel very far away from up here. It might also get warmer for us, like the body heat, you know, if we're all in one area. So um, thank you for the introduction. My name is Heidi Gorniak, and um, uh, she already said my title, so I don't need to repeat that. Um, and I'll let Katie introduce herself when she comes over here. But the Food Trust is a nonprofit. We are based in Philadelphia. Um, and we work on access, education, affordability, and advocacy. Um, and a lot of our work that we're doing is through SNAP-Ed. Um, so we're really excited to be here to present with you guys today. Um, this is new for us, this dialogue now, so we're gonna try to make it as dialogue-y as possible. We have a ton of resources in here. Um, farm to, or all around Farm to School, this is something that we do a lot of work around. And I do wanna share just one tiny note that when I say Farm to School, I am saying Farm to School and Early Childhood. So this is also preschool setting if you work in early, early childhood. I'm just using the kind of broader term firm to school, but I mean both when I say that. Um, let's see what else. So we're going to walk through a ton of resources today to really introduce the broad scope of work that's happening across the country. You might even see your state highlighted in here uh, around farm to school. And then towards the end, we're going to spend some time dialoguing because um, that is the title. And there's so much expertise here in the room that we want to have some time to kind of get to know each other and talk about some um, kind of next steps. So diving in. Our, oh, our objectives are, uh, we're gonna be listing the core elements of farm to school initiatives and the benefits in case you are brand new to farm to school. We're gonna walk away with at least five new ideas for creating connections between farmers and schools to support farm to school initiatives. Identify best practices for implementing farmer school connections that support local food procurement and agriculture education, and identify and access resources from other states to support farm to school initiatives. And we'll, we will make sure these resources are on whatever app or um, website they need to be so that all of the links that are in here, you have, um, are able to click on those later. So just a quick poll, um, and I'm not fancy, this is not a, a technology poll, but just a raise of hands, an old school, old school poll, of how many people already work with farm to school. Okay, okay, yeah, I like the little waves. Um, <laughs> Um, okay, good. That, that's very helpful. Um, for those who do, does anybody want to share what you do with Farm to School? You don't have to. I won't put anybody on the spot. Voice by choice. Oh, sure. Okay, great. And where are you located? Uh, Arizona. Arizona. Thank you for sharing. All right. Okay. Well, well. Onwards then. I'm oh, that, sorry. Go ahead. Jump in, Katie. Just curious, is Farm to School brand new for anyone? Is this a new concept for anyone? All of this is brand new to me, but yeah, <laughs> that's helpful. But me too, kind of. I'm still learning a lot, but yeah. I would say, like, we do a lot of. So I'm at SNAP Ed Implementing Agency. So we do a lot of kind of training among the local schools programs team. So like we work on training eight. And what state are you in? North Carolina. North Carolina. Great. I will say one thing that we have learned from our work is that many people are doing farm to school and don't even know it. So by the end, you might realize you are actually, you should have actually raised your hand, but we'll get there. 
Um, so for those who this is a newer concept, just a quick introduction to farm to school. So there's three main components to farm to school. One is procurement, and that's purchasing local food for usually school meals and snacks. It could also be school taste tests. The second is school gardens. And then the third is education. So if you're doing you know, FNAP, if you're doing SNAP Ed, or any other funded you know, nutrition education with students, that would fall under farm to school. So that's nutrition education and agriculture education. And we're gonna, like, we're gonna see a lot of examples that fall under these today. Uh, there's tons and tons of research and that show benefits of farm to school programs um, incre increasing access to nutritious, high-quality local food, right? That's one that we automatically often think about. It enhances classroom education. We're going to see some examples of that. It increases financial opportunities, right? So for farmers, fishers, ranchers, um, it's putting more money into the local economy. And it's also fostering these relationships between growers and students and families so that they know the people who are growing their food, which is really neat, right? Um, and then there's a link here at the bottom. This is from the National Farm to School Network. They put out a amazing handout um, that is called Benefits of Farm to School Programs. It's most recently updated in 2020. I just used some of their quantitative data. We did a um, congressional briefing on Wednesday very, very convincing data in there. So if you're looking for a resource around benefits to farm to school, I highly recommend um, pulling that one up. I think this is another really great resource um, and kind of way of thinking about farm to school. This is from Vermont Feed. I don't know, is anybody from Vermont? Vermont, okay. All right, I was going to shout you out. Uh, but this is, uh, Vermont Feed has what they call, is it the three C's, right? So um, thinking about farm to school work very holistically. So cafeteria, we've talked a little bit about procurement, classroom, education, and then really bringing in that community piece, right? That's our farmers, that's our families, that's other um, organizations. So I think this is a, a really beautiful model and it's kind of how we're breaking out the presentation today. So um, first we're gonna take a quick peek at food and agriculture education in the classroom and we're gonna look at four examples here. One is food and nutrition education, another is hands-on gardening and garden education, cooking and tasting activities, and then harvest of the month. Uh, so here, this is uh, just two of probably hundreds of great resources that are out there if you're looking to do um, nutrition education. And I mean, I don't have to tell anybody in this room how many resources there are, but Harvest for Healthy Kids is an excellent curriculum for young students in teaching um, farm to school concepts. There's also a lot of team nutrition resources, Growing Healthy Habits, Grow It, Try It, Like It. There's so much out there. Um, but this is a new one that we're using in Pennsylvania, a lot of partners are using, and it is excellent. Um, so I highly recommend that. And then there's also tons of great books out there to teach about food and nutrition. We have, um, the Food Trust had put together a collection of multi multicultural book choices, and there is a link here if you wanted to see that list. Um, but that's also, I will say, slightly outdated because it's probably over five years old at this point and so much has come out recently um, around this topic. So just also encouraging that, that learning through reading stories. Um, and I will add one thing that we've been doing recently is we have an author um, that we're working really closely with, Stacy Woodson, who is in Philadelphia, um, who's been doing book readings for us of her own stories with the children, which is really impactful. And then this has come up a few times already during the conference, which I love, is this incorporation of, of farm to school nutrition education, um, agriculture education into school curriculum. Um, and I also love the idea of having food educators in each building. That would be amazing. Thank you, Jennifer, for that idea yesterday um, and all the work that she's doing to, to do that in DC. Um, and we also, um, in Pennsylvania, we have, through SNAP-Ed and FNAP, we do a lot of education in the classroom, uh, and we are also working with teachers and asking them to integrate it as much as possible. 
absolutely they have way too much on their plates, 100%. So we try to make that as easy as possible for them. I'm not going to walk through all of these, but there's a lot of easy ways that they can touch on some of this stuff um, in what they already have to get done throughout the day. Um, and then gardening. Sorry, just pulling up my notes here. Um, oh, you know what? I did want to just share one quick example of this. This was done many years ago, but the school district of Philadelphia is involved in SNAP-Ed. And um, they knew that every morning the students had to do a writing prompt. So they had to write. As soon as they got into the classroom, there was a writing prompt up on the board. And so they had created all of these writing prompts for teachers around food and nutrition and provided them. And that was just a really easy way to get food and nutrition uh, conversations in each morning. So I like that example. Okay, back to gardening. Um, so gardening, hands-on experiential education. Um, this is kind of showing students how their food grows. They understand how to do it themselves. They're more connected to the food that they've grown, more likely to try it. Uh, I loved how Jennifer talked yesterday about that joy, um, especially that example of kind of reaching in for those sweet potatoes, which I remember doing for my first time when, when I did that. And so there's just so many um, amazing memories that come from school gardening. It also incorporates physical activity, right? That's another benefit. And there's a lot of new research coming out around being in school gardens, having mental health benefits for students. So gardening, there's just, there's just so much that could be said for gardening. Cooking and tasting activities. So this is exposure to new foods, right? Having students try them. Um, and again, I'm, I'm gonna keep shouting out Jennifer. I loved her talk yesterday, or her comments yesterday on the panel, but she talked about you know, that role of being able to provide the opportunity for students in the school to try something multiple times, something they've never tried before, um, which is a, a unique opportunity, right? And it takes a lot of time for students to, to understand if, or um, figure out if they like something. Um, so I think that's a great opportunity for us to do in schools with farm to school programming and um, making that a very positive experience, right? So we never force children to taste anything. Um, we're always making that a very positive experience. Um, and then, you know, often it's the one thing they'll remember from our lessons. So it's lasting impact. And, and then cooking activities, so obviously, you know, young students were, were maybe not doing a full cooking, but they're chopping, they're, you know, ripping, things like that, but they're developing life skills that they're going to be using later in life. And then also in the classroom, a lot of states have what's called harvest of the month. Has anybody ever heard of harvest of the month in their state? Okay, got a lot of people. So this is really featuring a fruit or vegetable, typically a fruit or vegetable, um, every month based on seasonality. Uh, it's really sharing about the benefits of those foods. Sometimes it's incorporated into school meals. Sometimes it's a, a uh, taste test for students in the classroom, but it's really kind of zoning in and focusing on one food each month to get that excitement up. Um, and there are tons and tons of resources online to support that and make sure that there's education happening in the classroom also um, to make sure that the students are learning more about that fruit or vegetable uh, and how it grows. Okay, so I'm going to pass it over to Katie, who's going to Take us to the next category. And then just curious, um, based on anything that Heidi just shared, for anyone who didn't raise their hand in the beginning and saying they didn't do any farm to school, did anything resonate? Was there anything that you thought, oh, maybe I could do a little bit of farm to school? Okay, cool. <laughs> That's exciting. Um, okay, so starting to uh, dive into farm to school in the cafeteria, um, I guess I want to preface this by everything that Heidi just shared, that all of the education and the hands-on and also, can everyone hear me? I realize I'm not at the microphone. Um, and the hands-on experiences and really having the joy of working with food. And I'm okay, unless, unless you guys need my, I'm pretty loud. Oh, I'm sorry. Okay. Okay, I'm here. Um, and so everything that Heidi was, was kind of sharing about experiential learning and really um, having joyful moments with food, that's really gearing kids up to 
eat what's being served in the cafeteria in schools that are procuring local and fresh products and putting them in their meals. Um, I think a food service professional's biggest fear is probably looking in the trash can and seeing all of the food being thrown away. So if students aren't trying the food, if they're afraid to try it, um, if they're not eating it, there isn't, oh, there isn't going to be buy-in, um, and that's not going to be a very successful farm-to-school program, right? So um, obviously, farm-to-school in the cafeteria can look like purchasing local products included meals and snacks and taste tests, um, but not every school has all of the resources to have uh, a meal made from freshly procured products. They might only be able to purchase one thing or maybe something every month. Um, depending on their setup. So there are a lot of other ways to incorporate farm to school in the cafeteria besides or in tandem with purchasing local products. Um, I want to, um, one thing that Vermont Feed often says is that the cafeteria can be the largest classroom. So I think there are a lot of ways to reinforce messaging in the cafeteria um, by having signage and having students being involved. So I'm going to talk a little bit about that. I'm also going to talk about some of the challenges to getting local products into meals and some resources that exist to help address those. Um, so first of all, like I said, not every school has all of the resources to purchase local products for all of their meals. There's budget constraints. Some schools might not have full service kitchens. Um, kids might not like it, right, because there might not be all of those educational components in the school. So lots of different challenges. Um, so this can look different depending on the school. At the top left, you can see an example. This could be, I don't know exactly what this, the kitchen looks like at the school with the apples, but in a school that might just have a heat and serve sort of setup, um, an easy sort of no pun intended, low-hanging fruit, is getting some handheld fruits, right, that don't require processing and chopping and, um, and serving to kids if they don't have the equipment. So if a school is able to get some fresh local apples and then they do tons of fun activities around an apple, or maybe it's National Apple Month and they're doing, they're all crunching on an apple together, that's a really memorable experience for kids. Um, even though they might not be serving everything locally. They have one local product they're really hyping up. Um, the bottom left, this is an example of a school that has the means to have everything procured locally and, and um, processed from fresh products. Um, but as you can see, they included some seed packets with their food, which really made me think about, I, I forgot, her, maybe it was Virginia, the, the woman yesterday who talked about the seeds. Oh, it was Chanda? Chanda, good memory. Um, she was talking about how everything starts with the seeds, and um, I just thought that was really cool that we had a picture here, because I was like, yeah, well, we have some pictures here to show, yeah, it does start with the seed, turns into an apple or a pepper or whatever it is. Um, and then uh, all the way to the right, so in some states, there are promotional days every year just to promote fresh products and or fresh local products. And so schools might just choose one day of the year to incorporate fresh local products. It might not be every day. So incorporating local foods and meals, snacks, and taste tests looks different at every school. Um, but connecting it to the classroom, connecting it to these you know, promotional messaging, and connecting it to where food comes from is what makes it so joyful and exciting, regardless of how much local products schools are purchasing. Um, so a huge barrier to purchasing locally is often cost. Um, oftentimes, purchasing locally can be cost prohibitive and can be more expensive, de depending on where you are. Um, one thing I wanted to, to share here, some people might be familiar with this, but local food purchasing incentive programs have been building some momentum over the last decade or so. Um, these are essentially programs or policies that are in the states that you see highlighted here. Um, they're policies that are often backed with public funding that is used to reimburse schools um, a certain dollar amount per meal that they serve with fresh local items. So it essentially offsets the cost of schools, school um, food service professionals purchasing local products, and it helps them to be able to afford purchasing more local products. So an example, Michigan has a really strong program. It's called 10 cents a meal. So for every meal they serve, they get an additional 10 cents um, in reimbursement. Every meal they serve with local products, they get an additional 10 cents in reimbursement for that meal. Um, 
in Pennsylvania, we're working on trying to someday pass legislation for this, but we have a farm to school bill um, that actually can pay for some of, some of these, these costs if a school wants to incorporate local incentive. So if you're from one of these states, I would definitely see if this exists and I would share this with any schools that you work with and see if they have access to these resources. Um, and then, like I was saying before, everything in the cafeteria. So if there's a wonderful, um, if there are wonderful meals that are all fresh and local foods, kids are not gonna eat them if there's no buy-in. So there's tons of activities that I'm sure all of you could probably share with me that you've seen, um, but there's tons of activities that students can, can get involved in to really um, encourage their peers to try to, to try new foods or to try to make the food more exciting. So on the left here, this is a flavor station. Has anyone ever heard of one of these? Or seen it? Okay, cool. <clears throat> um, so sometimes in schools they might just have like a heat and serve. Maybe they get frozen broccoli and they heat it and then serve it. Personally, frozen broccoli plain is pretty drab and I'm not a huge fan of it. And so some schools, this one on the left is in Philadelphia, they have this flavor station where kids can just go up and pick an herb or a spice and flavor their broccoli with it. Um, and then on the right, this is a, another school in Pennsylvania and they had a cooking club where kids would, um, this actually in particular, this teacher, he decided to teach the kids how to make chili using all local items. And so after school, they would go in the cafeteria, they'd use local products, they made this chili and then they froze it and then they used it for meals later that week. I think it was for their PA preferred day. And so there's a lot of, um, there are just a lot of great ways to incorporate kids and youth and having kids really be the promoters of all of this. And, um, and I, I just want to pause for a second and hear to see if anybody has any quick anecdotes about incorporating youth into, into school meal programs. Anyone? Okay, we can save for later. We have some breakouts. Oh, go ahead. Yeah. As a, as a chance to kind of give individuality for how they're going to flavor stuff, but also just, um, you know, increase. Once again, I'm not going to eat plain broccoli either. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. Thank you for sharing. Um, yeah. And then another example I was thinking about too um, if students have the opportunity to choose a new recipe, say a school decides they're going to procure, I know in Montana they procure a lot of legumes and beans and things like that. And so, um, and so there might be an opportunity for kids to try, um, like create a new recipe using beans that month. And so kids might create two kinds of hummus and then share it with their peers, do a poll, see what they like best. And the winner, now that is going to be what's on the, the menu that month. Um, so lots of different schools do these things in a lot of different ways. And thank you for sharing your example. Oh, go ahead. That is awesome. I love that. Thank you for sharing. Um, okay, so I'm gonna move on to some community connections. So like Heidi was saying earlier, um, incorporating you know, the community and making sure that all of these concepts that we're learning are tied to the community is very important to give context for, um, for students around farm to school. So, especially we live in Philadelphia so it's an urban community and a lot of students might not have ever um, been to a farm out in 
you know, the middle of Pennsylvania, but oftentimes they're seeing pictures of farms and that's what they see. It's a picture of a giant farm in the middle of Pennsylvania. Um, and so, you know, one way to set context around, around farm to school and making sure they know where their food comes from is taking kids on farm trips to farms in their community and teaching kids that we can grow food anywhere. It doesn't just have to be in a huge, large farm. Um, and that urban farming, especially is what we like to talk about, can be a means for growing food. Um, and the food that you have on your plate came from, you know, 10 minutes down the road. So there are a lot of ways in which we connect with farmers so that kids can really understand that you can grow food anywhere. It doesn't have to be um, in this large, you know, farm in the middle of the country. So um, a couple of ways we do that, we send kids on farm field trips. Has anyone worked with a school that sent kids on farm field trips? Okay, cool. And um, this is not only beneficial for the kids, but it's beneficial for farmers because it's another opportunity for them to, um, you know, receive income. So it's another way, it's another income stream for them. And it's also an opportunity for schools to connect with farmers so that they can potentially collaborate on other on other projects, maybe procuring some, some local products or maybe um, coming to an event and meeting families and parents so families can learn about the farms and the local, their local food system. Um, these are a couple of urban farms in Philadelphia, some kids tasting strawberries. Um, and then sending kids on the farm can sometimes also be cost prohibitive. It could be logistically challenging. So different organizations are starting to create these virtual farm tours. Um, and these can be paired with any curriculum or any taste test that's done in the classroom to really teach kids about who's growing the food in their community. The Food Trust, we're actually creating one too. It wasn't finished in time for us to show it, but we're featuring three farms. Um, two of them are urban farms. And these are meant to be paired with harvest of the month activities or other taste text activities in Pennsylvania so kids can see who their local farmers are and, and the diversity in farmers that are, that are around them. But we quickly want to show a video of the Small Bites Adventure Club. So this is an organization in Atlanta. Um, and they have created a series of videos about getting to know your farmer. And so hit it, Alex. <laughs> I don't think it's a fruit. If I never thought of an olive as a fruit. I think it's a fruit or a vegetable. And then they like soak it in something to make it sour. An olive is the best. If you ask someone, what is an olive? We'll tell you, it's something that's good. Uh, they take a bunch of olives, and then they take out the seed, and then they smash it up, and then they click it down until they get the oils out. You mix olive juice with oil. You squeeze the olive. In, and in, and then into a container. Into a con and then you add flavor. I'm Curtis Pauling, and, right, and we're we can here at the it. Woodpecker Thank Trail you. on a farm. And I wish I could show the whole thing, but we don't have time. But um, essentially, so it goes through the farmer, I know, taking them on a trip through their olive grove and, and showing them how olives are actually made um, so that students know, you know, it's not just... I don't remember what he said, squeezed with something orange, I can't remember. Um, and so anyway, these are, I think these are, you know, a good, a good um, resource for schools that just don't have the, the funds to send kids to the actual farm. Um, it makes a good connection. And then other opportunities for, for schools that might not have funds for transportation are bringing farmers to the school. And, um, you know, not all farmers do this, but We've been working with a brand new farmer in Philadelphia and we've, you know, posed the idea of coming and they're like, well, let's talk about it. What could this look like? And so I think, you know, not all farmers have these sort of agritourism pieces of their business, but oftentimes working with partners like us, different organizations like you, um, together in collaboration, you could create some sort of 
program or a curriculum or an agenda so that you know you could find a way for them to come and make connections and I think you know oftentimes farmers just need some of that support because they're not thinking about that they're thinking about growing food and we're not thinking about growing food we're thinking about getting kids to like it and eat it so um, so anyway these are two farmers to the left this is the Center for Eco Literacy in California um, and then to the right, this is Greener Partners in Philadelphia. Both of these are farmers that basically just bring, um, it's like a walking classroom of growing plants and they just show kids how things are grown. The one on the right, they have a smoothie bike so the kids pick the, the spinach and they put it in a smoothie and then they make the smoothie. So they get to like literally see how it grows and then they get to eat it. Um, so anyway. These are all, all three of these are great ways to connect with farmers and just make sure that kids have more context around the food that they're eating. And then of course, our family and caregivers are huge, um, huge important people in our communities and they're also the people who are reinforcing concepts at home. And um, they're also helping to create those joyful experiences around food. And so farm to school, Although it all happens, you know, we're talking about in the school, inviting parents to the school to get them really engaged in what's happening can really help to, to make sure that all of these concepts are reinforced at home, that parents are thinking about, you know, how they want to engage their child in food preparation at home or involve them in shopping, you know, or if they're, depending on where they get their food, involving them in making choices around, you know, what they want to eat. So, um, we have a virtual cooking class that we recently piloted in Pennsylvania called Cooking Beyond the Classroom. And so you can see this little chef to the left and basically um, the, the little kid and their caregiver, they get to follow along and make a recipe at home and they learn like all of these different cooking skills that can be implemented from age two to you know 10. Um, and they're, they're just a lot of fun and I think parents don't realize sometimes, at least I know, I mean, my kids are tiny, but I think sometimes parents don't realize how, how easy it can be to incorporate kids into preparing food and enjoying it. Um, and then to the right, this is bringing a, a parent into the classroom and they're just making a little fruity face there, which is really cute. Um, and then farm stands. So another way to engage farmers is bringing them on site to sell produce and Again, this could be something um, that this could be a connection that's made on a farm trip. This could be a you know a connection that's made maybe going to a farmer's market and talking to a farmer that's there. But in Philadelphia, we have a couple of different farmers that come to schools to provide produce. It's another again another market for them, so it's a beneficial um, it's a beneficial income stream for them as well. As, and then also bringing food to the school. So it's mutually beneficial. Okay, so we talked a lot about, um, you know, all three of the, the C's. So making sure when we're, when we're looking at successful farm to school programs, we've got, well, I guess when you look at farm to school programs as a whole, not all of them do all the three C's, but really strong ones have um, a lot of, integration of farm to school concepts in the classroom. They're connecting it in the cafeteria through local procurement and um, youth involvement and promoting local products and nutrition. And then of course, bringing farmers and families into the equation. And so something that we did wanna to share today is thinking through and, sh and sharing some resources to connect with farmers and to connect with community members um, to enhance farm to school programs. So one way in which um, lots of states throughout the country can provide professional development and support for strong farm to school programs is through farm to school institutes. Has anyone ever heard of these before? You've heard of them? Okay. So farm to school institutes, they're run, it depends state by state. In Pennsylvania, the Farm to School Institute is run by the Farm to School Network, which Heidi will get into in a bit. But they're essentially professional development opportunities for schools where school teams attend a full day of training around how to implement a farm to school initiative, whether it's gardening or incorporating more ag concepts into curriculum or procuring local products. Um, and they receive they receive a coach throughout the year. So they do this planning and they do this training and then they receive a coach and they implement their, 
their um, initiative, and the coach checks in monthly, provides support, and then they also receive usually a stipend or a, a grant, and it depends on the state. Um, but many states have these programs, and the best part about this is that you're working with a cohort of other schools from throughout the state, so you also get to learn what other schools are doing. And usually at these, there are, there are farmers and there are other organizations that come and provide this professional development. So you also receive a lot of different connections um, to, to resources throughout the state that you, that you are in touch with all year long. Um, other resources that are available in, in Pennsylvania, we have been, and specifically in Philadelphia, we have been carrying out the Regional Learning Collaborative. So this is specific in Philadelphia to our early care and education sites. So take, working with early care and education sites um, and bringing together lots of different stakeholders in farm to early care and education, putting them in the same room to network and share resources, and then find ways in which they can collaborate together. So an example of this, um, last year in the fall, we hosted a regional learning collaborative, and we had an early care and education site who was sharing about how they wanted to procure local products, and there was a farmer in the room who happened to to, who happened to have their farm probably two miles away from that early care site, and they said, okay, well, we want to grow food for you. And so they connected, um, and it was mostly because the early care site said, we have a lot of um, Chinese students, and we want to incorporate more local products that are culturally relevant. And the farm said, well, we've been wanting to experiment with X, Y, and Z products. So these are very grassroots opportunities um, for organizations, early care sites, and growers and, and farmers to come together and talk about how they can collaborate within one small region. And um, they've been really successful, and I would encourage other states to adopt these practices. And then on to you, Heidi. Thanks, Katie. All right, so that was collaboration on the grassroots level, right? But then there's so much great work that's happening around collaboration at the national and state levels. Um, so of course we have the National Farm to School Network, which is a wealth of resources. We go to them all the time. Um, but there are also a lot of states, this is not a comprehensive list here, but a lot of states have statewide farm to school networks. And there are so many benefits to that. Um, they are looking for ways to grow initiatives across the state. They often have, um, a, it's a hub for resources, um, if not even financial resources, that they provide. There's often educational opportunities, networking opportunities through these um, networks. They work on policy, advancing farm to school policy, um, and working towards a strong, just food system. So in Pennsylvania, the Food Trust um, leads the Pennsylvania Farm to School Network, and that brings together leaders from the Department of Agriculture, Department of Health, Department of Education, um, leaders in early childhood. So it really is um, a very strong network. And of course, all the work that we do is done through partnerships. So this is something to look into in your state. Um, do you want to go to the next slide? Farmer trading cards. Has anybody heard of farmer trading cards? Yes, awesome. Do you have them in your state? So I, I work at a national institute, but I saw them when we did a site visit to a school in San Diego. San Diego, they're in San Diego, awesome. You can tell my excitement. I think these are the coolest thing ever. Um, so on the left, you can see New Jersey has farmer trading cards. Um, and on the right, that's right here in Virginia. So these are, they look like little trading cards. Um, and they feature a farmer um, from that state, talks about what they grow, tells you a little bit about them, and then the kids get them and they trade them like Pokemon cards. Now, if you have kids, I have a 10-year-old boy, this is amazing, they think it's the coolest thing ever. So on the right-hand side there, um, I actually found out about this one because my sister works in Loudoun County School District. And basically what they do is they show a short video, like the small bites that we saw before, they show a small video in the morning, almost every day about a local farmer so they get a little clip and they learn about their farmers and then they get their trading cards and they get so excited when they have a card that matches the video that they've seen and then they trade them in the lunchroom because Pokemon cards got taken away. So um, really neat resource um, and another kind of layer you can add. 
And, I, and I've also read that some farmers will use them as business cards and like hand them out at a farmer's market. So if, a, you know, if some teacher happens to be there or a food service person or someone who's working in farm to school and they get this business card, it might look, you know, they might look at it and it says, we offer farm trips. So it's a really great, it, like Heidi said, it's an awesome way to promote their, their farm and their business. Um, and then there are local and regional food hubs. Has anyone heard of food hubs? Yeah. <laughs> um, so the, the, there's, a, there's a specific definition by the USDA, which I put at the top. So um, they define it as a centrally lo located facility with a business management structure facilitating the aggregation, storage, processing, distribution, and or marketing of locally, regionally produced food products. So basically, in lots and lots of states throughout the country, there are these food hubs that aggregate local products, whether it's fruits or vegetables or, or meat, um, and then they sell it. Um, and it really takes a lot of the work out, it, it takes the work, prevents small and mid-sized farmers from having to do all of that work themselves, right? And it's also just a really great way to purchase food from a variety of different farmers. So lots of schools work with these food hubs, and it's a much easier way for food service professionals to purchase local products without having to work with 10 different farmers. They still get to support 10 different farmers, um, but it's much simpler. And um, what was I gonna say? Oh, and then a lot of these food hubs are really mission aligned. So many of them have healthy food access funds or other grant programs so that um, schools or early care sites can purchase products at a reduced cost. So they're really a great way to sort of indirectly connect with farmers and get local products into schools at a, at a um, I would say a less expensive cost than it would be going directly to a small farmer. Um, and then another resource to look into, so at an institutional level, almost every state has either, um, either a state department position dedicated to farm to school and or an extension office position dedicated to farm to school. So if you live in a state and you see um, that it's color coded that it has one of those positions, at least one of those positions, this is definitely a resource for you because you could connect with, if it's someone at the Department of Ag or someone at the Department of Ed, you could connect with them around resources for harvest of the month or maybe it's um, connecting with farmers who are interested in learning how to sell to schools. For example, in Pennsylvania, one of our partners at the Department of Ag, they hold growers sessions. So they essentially teach farmers how to run a business and sell to institutions like schools. So they're really great, um, these are really great resources and I would encourage you, you know, to take a look at your state and if you work with schools to see if they'll, you know, they wanna connect with someone at one of these agencies or these institutions. Um, and then finally, because I know a lot of us here, at least who I've met, work in SNAP-Ed or, or FNEP, um, we're also really great resources, I think, to support Farm to School because we have this really important funding through SNAP-Ed um, that can allow that can allow us to provide our staff time to support these programs. So SNAP-Ed is a great resource for schools, especially for providing curriculum around farm to school. Heidi named a few during her presentation. Um, so like the team nutrition gardening curriculum or harvest for healthy kids. We can provide teaching materials, taste test supplies. Um, you know, we could choose to purchase it locally so that kids can can try something, something locally. Um, also providing supplies and support for school gardens. That's a really important piece of, um, you know, of farm to school and it's something that SNAP-Ed can provide. We, have, we can provide staff time, um, seeds, all of those different things. And then, of course, supporting in the cafeteria. So providing signage, working with youth, maybe starting a youth leadership group to, um, to promote and market whatever's on the menu that month, and then making community connections. So I think a big piece of SNAP-Ed is working with partners and finding ways to share resources. Um, and so SNAP-Ed staff can use their staff time to work with other organizations who, who have resources that they wanna share. Um, and connecting caregivers, connecting um, schools with farmers. So SNAP-Ed, you know, it, there are a lot of benefits for a school working with SNAP-Ed, and if, 
And if any of you don't know what SNAP-Ed is, I don't have time to go through all of it, but it is the, um, but it is the education arm of the SNAP program. And I would encourage a school to look into, um, look at the SNAP-Ed website to see if they have a partner near them that they can connect with. Whew, that was a lot. <laughs> if anybody's sitting there thinking, oh my gosh, you just threw so much information at me, that was totally our intention. Um, we are, we do a lot of work um, in Pennsylvania around farm to school. We're obviously very excited about the work that we're doing and we're constantly trying to grow what we're doing because we really believe that the more touch points there are and the more connections we can create, the stronger those programs are gonna be and then we're gonna reach all those wonderful benefits that we saw at the beginning that come out of farm to school programs. So we've done some research clearly around what's going on across the country, um, but we're also selfishly using this time to learn from you. So we wanna hear from all of you. I know not everyone said that they've already been participating in farm to school, but we wanna hear if you all know of anything that we didn't talk about. What else is going on that you've heard about across the country, really successful, innovative um, approaches that are happening with farm to school? Anybody wanna share? Anything we missed? Yeah. Um, I know that there's a school nutrition director and, and no. I think you would have the oh, microphone. Okay. I think it would record. Oh, sorry. <laughs> Thank you. Um, okay. I know there's a school nutrition director at Anne Arundel County, Maryland, uh -huh. and I'm so sorry if I butchered that. It's a really hard name for me to say. She actually, as a school nutrition director, did a whole video series where she went to the farm to talk about the food that was she was going to be serving in the school nutrition or the school cafeteria the next day, and so that was she really uh, saw a lot of positive. Uh, increase in meal, school meal participation with that because she was showing the kids where the food was coming from and it really is surprising still nowadays especially with the internet how many people and not just students like literally don't know where their food comes from so yeah. the school nutrition director doing the videos and showing them really increased meal participation and encouraged kids to eat more. Awesome. Thank you for that example. <laughs> Thank you for Hi, my name is Frances Herrera. I work for SNAP-Ed in Arizona. Yeah. And one of the things that we do is that we have something called the Empower Program in Arizona, which are the best practices for the state. But then we also started working with the GoNapsack, which are the best practices for the nation. And we worked with an early childhood site that was interested in doing the Farm to ECE component. So we used the GoNapsack Farm to ECE component to have them assess and see what they want to work on, and then we help them create their policy. So based on that, they chose which actions to take, and one of, the, one of the things that they want to do is that they want to start a garden, but they also want to invite a farmer. So we connected the University Cooperative Extension, the U of A, with them, and they were able to get them someone to, to visit the school. So that's one of the things that, that we use, the GoNapsack. Thank you. Hey, I'm with SNAP-Ed in Alabama, and we have, a um, through the Department of Ag and Industries, a local food purchase agreement. It's like a cooperative agreement through the USDA, and so it funds, um, specifically targeted to help fund minority farmers, but it's a mix of farms that produce food, and then that food gets purchased through those funds and distributed to food pantries and schools that qualify, where most of the students are from lower-income communities. And so the SNAP-Ed program partners with um, Ag and Industries and our Farm to School to just sort of make sure that we're collaborating and working in the same sites when possible. SNAP-Ed, as you said, the school's doing taste tests or supporting the cafeteria to incorporate that food that they receive from the local farmers into the school meals and snacks. So that's been a real, it's LFPA is the name of that if you have that in your state. Thank you for sharing that. closer to that one. I have uh, an ex example and also kind of a question for you. So um, in the schools that I work with, we do quite a bit of farm to school gardens. We have gardens, we have 
um, these smart system greenhouses that can be run remotely. Um, and then we have the hydroponic systems, we do nutrition education. Um, so we have, and most of this has been funding, we call it CalFresh Healthy Living, not SNAP-Ed in California, but um, it's been actually, they have approved funding for hydroponic systems now, which is pretty cool. If anyone wants to take advantage of that, just kind of start pushing for that. I don't know if that's just a California thing, but yes, we got approved for that. We also got approved um, to provide teachers with stipends to participate more. So we do like a cooking club and so we can incentivize the teachers to actually run it and deliver nutrition education. So that also got approved through SNAP-Ed funding. Wow. Yeah. Um, there's some precedent I know we, we just keep pushing because um, so my other question though we have we run into this problem of kind of pushback from mostly cafeteria staff cafeteria managers and then the food service directors because farm to school work requires more work for them and if it's not something that they are particularly passionate about or maybe they're towards the end of their career they are very, I mean, we did a, um, like a food waste redu reduction project in the cafeterias and we got like almost bullied by these staff because they did not want us there. Um, have you run into that? And do you have like, how, how can you create buy-in for those that don't particularly like, because they don't necessarily benefit from it. They would just be doing it out of, you know, their own passion. Yeah, that's a tough question, and I don't have a direct answer, but what I will say, um, one thing that we've been experiencing, we've been piloting a local food purchasing incentive program, and something that we hear often is the, it's more work, right? So people are now participating in this local incentive program to have more fresh local products, but there's more administrative work. So um, this isn't really an answer that would help at a grassroots level, but I think when states are developing policies around farm to school or around food purchasing incentive programs, making sure that part of that funding that's included in that policy is for more staff that can support administrative time or staff that can support processing and preparing products. Um, but that's not going to help immediately. But that's something we've been talking about in Pennsylvania because we don't have a policy right now. And so when we think about legislation, um, you know, what should be included? And it should be more funding so people have resources. But I don't know if you want to answer. Um, yeah, the only other thing I would add there, um, there's, we did a great training through the Community Innovation Network around community engagement. And as part of that, um, it talked about, you know, everyone has gifts and everyone has things that inspire and interest them, right? So I'm, I might try to figure out in that situation, like, what would be the carrot? What would be the thing for the food service staff, right? Maybe it's that they are trying to get school meal participation to go up, right? That's often a common goal for food service staff. There's tons of data around how farm to school can increase school meal participation. So I might try something like that. But we also have a wealth of resources in the room. So if there's anybody else who has a potential solution to that question that wants to answer. Yeah. I don't know whether this is a solution, but um, I recently went, so I'm Liz Crockett, I come from New York State. I work in public health, but I'm used to work in the child care food program, so I'm super interested in these things. Um, and I recently went to um, a conference of the New York State Dietetic Association, and they had um, some presenters who were passionate about this. So you might be able to find some school nutrition people who do have a passion and see if you can work with the School Nutrition Association and other like, you know, statewide entities, dietetic association, the people who work in the schools and, and if, you know, use all the other resources and then present trainings to them from people who are their own people who are really passionate. And um, it would be good to also try to build in incentives if you can. So if we're incentivizing teachers, let's incentivize the uh, cafeteria employees and school nutrition people. These are just ideas. And give them Great continuing suggestion. ed credit for it, so. Yes. Yeah, excellent suggestion. Mm -hmm. 
So we were going to do a small group, but given our five minutes left, I think we'll do this as a large group because I also like how this is working. Um, but that was going to be our next thing, right? So we've talked about so many different resources, so many great benefits, and there's also challenges to implementing all of these things, right? And, and we've already heard one. Um, so we were going to do this in small groups, but we can do this as a large group. And if there's any other challenges that people have experienced, or as you're looking at this, you're thinking, I have no idea how I would do that part because of this challenge. Um, if you wanted to share that now, we have all these wonderful minds in the room. Yeah. Hi, my name is Rena. I'm from actually a health department, so I'm coming from a public health lens. And um, we do interact a lot with, um, with SNAP-Ed and other partners. And when we try to implement um, programs, um, one of the things that we try to cover is um, language needs and translation services. And that's something that we're always told, you know, the program doesn't cover in terms of languages, um, translation services, interpretation. Um, and that's, it's wanting to provide the information, but if it's only provided in English, it's not meeting the needs of the population. So I, and I didn't think I heard anything with the language um, and literacy address, so I'm not sure if that's something that um, you experience and how you or anyone else in the room um, kind of work around it or incorporate it. I see a hand. Um, I was gonna say for the language thing, I know one thing we have done is, is move to nonverbal resources. It, it doesn't always work and it can't always be the answer, but like for example, we have a whole video on how and when to wash your hands and a single word is never spoken or read. It's all visually shown, like different scenarios. The person kind of stops, you can see them pondering, and then they go wash their hands and it shows them how they do it, shows the 20 seconds passing, that kind of thing. Um, and as I said, that's not always the, the best, the, the, the perfect fit, but really moving toward you know, like, like infographics with more graphics and, and, or minimal words so they can be easily translated. Um, we've seen that helps us a lot. Um, but the challenge that I have heard voiced from the audiences I deal with is sometimes um, the farmers can't actually deliver enough produce to meet the needs of, of schools or large child cares, especially with larger things. So really um, trying to get partnerships of different farmers maybe growing the same thing and getting them to grow together and just the, lo the logistics of that. Yes, we hear that a lot. Um, and as Katie's walking the microphone over, somebody raised their hand. I'll just oh. I'll just comment on that because the Food Trust also runs farmers markets in Philadelphia, so we're we're very familiar with um, you know especially I mean sometimes it's seasonality right or, or just a, a rough season where the farmer doesn't have a lot um, and they can kind of purchase in from one another. You can bring them together. There's the um, local food hubs that we talked about earlier, but that is a major challenge. Um, for, for some, and then also some, for some farmers, the site can't purchase enough to make it worth their while for the, the gas cost to come out, especially if it's a smaller school or a smaller um, early childhood site, so that's definitely um, a challenge. Somebody. Oh, here. there you are. Hi. Okay, go ahead. Um, so I wanted to speak to that challenge of um, not being able to meet the needs of the school. Um, I work with urban farmers in Camden, New Jersey, so we recently started a project using the Open Food Network. I think the Food Trust is like partnered with another organization there. But the Open Food Network allows you to connect two farmers that are growing food, local places. Uh, so that might be a way to connect different farmers to each other. You can find them on the map there. Um, and getting that food to schools through that method. So 30 seconds, okay. No problem. All right. Um, well, we will wrap us up then. I wanted to, to thank everyone so much for coming, um, especially during what is kind of lunch hour. Um, and, you know, we'll, we'll stick around as they're setting up if anybody has any mm -hmm. other questions. Otherwise, we will make sure all of these great resources are available through the app or whatever way they tell us to do that. So yeah. thank you. Thank you. you.